Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Uh, Scott Luton, Kelly Barner with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Kelly Barner, the Red Sox made it past the Yankees. They're moving on in the playoffs. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a shiny, shiny day here in Boston, right? It's gorgeous. The boys won. It's a happy day here in the city of Boston. Awesome. But no parades just yet, right? Oh, no, no, no. We're not even supposed to talk. Now i got to knock on wood. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, great to see you. Uh, it has been too long. I'll tell you that Dial P episode, uh, it got a lot of great feedback. We'll maybe touch on that uh, later in today's show. But today, Kelly, are you ready? We've got the latest installment of Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow with the one and only Mike Griswold with Gartner. Are you ready? Excited about today's conversation? I'm hugely excited to get to be here. I have listened to and or watched every single one of Mike's episodes here on Supply Chain Now, so I am very excited to be sitting in the co-pilot seat with you today to ask him some questions. We are too. Excited to have you here. And looks like we've got some uh, a, a guest appearance here today. Amanda Luton, <laughs> behind the scenes. Good day. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get here on a live stream here at Supply Chain Now. But on that note, big shout out to, of course, Jada and Clay and Amanda and the whole team behind the scenes, mostly behind the scenes uh, in production here at Supply Chain Now. Okay, so Kelly. Are you in so much trouble? Did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> that would do be we need fun. to bail you out? <laughs> <laughs> My legs may indeed be broken here <laughs> later today. But uh, today, folks, uh, so we're back. You know, we've been down in Miami. We've had, you know, with like the rest of the world, we had some some uh, online difficulties on Monday with the buzz, right? Uh, when the, the social platforms went down. But, but great to be back with you. Today, we're going to be talking about key takeaways from, from the fairly recent Gartner Supply Chain Symposium Expo 2021, the EMEA version. So, uh, you know, Kelly, we probably never spent enough time kind of uh, with a whole conversation kind of focused on uh, the non-United States, the rest of the world, right? Absolutely. And quick refresher, anybody that's Googling it, it's Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I double-checked to make sure I had the uh, the abbreviation right last night, but no, absolutely. I mean, certainly we talk global, but there are all right. kinds of different regional and continental breakdowns within the world that we need to be aware of. That is right. So we look forward to gaining Mike's insights as well as uh, Kelly's and yours. So hopefully you brought your POV here today. Uh, so folks in the comments in the skyboxes, as, as we, we uh, refer to it, we welcome what you have to say. Uh, so be get ready and get ready to optimize your supply chain IQ with us over the next hour. Okay, let's let's make a few quick announcements, and we're gonna then we're gonna say hello to folks, and then we're gonna bring in Mike Griswold here in about five minutes. I want to add this visual to the screen. So Kelly, you and I collaborate on uh, a podcast series, an independent podcast series called This Week in Business History. It's a weekly series. We drop a new episode every Monday, and it really celebrates. Hopefully, it celebrates. You and I both love history. Big time. Uh, and you, yeah, so we typically find a, a fairly, um, I think both of our favorites are, are the history lessons and stories that that aren't overly reported on, right? 
Yes. And it's amazing with how many stories, even when you take a story like McDonald's or, or Ray Kroc as an individual and you dig into their detailed past, almost all of these people floundered and struggled. It's absolutely amazing. We know them for their successes, but they had very human, individual, difficult journeys that they had to go through to get to the part of the story that we know about now. That's right. Uh, well put, as always, Kelly, that that dual, what was it, a dual history and English major that you were? <laughs> Exactly. Man. Who knew those two things would go together so well? <laughs> and supply chain. And supply chain, uh, sure. <laughs> so, folks, uh, if you think you know the Ray Kroc story, and The Founder is a great movie out there, I'd recommend it, but it is more drama than documentary. Oh, I and, liked your fact check in this week's podcast, by the way. Not well, going to spoil it. People need to go listen, <laughs> but little fact checking from Scott Luton. Well, I, thank you for that. I probably stole that from, <laughs> from your approach. But one thing I will share is I had not known that, that Ray Kroc, after – he had made his fortune. He bought the San Diego Padres for $12 million. And folks, he was a hands-on owner. Uh, and and I, we talk about some of the things he did with the mic at one of the games. So you all have to check out five things you didn't know about Ray Kroc. Uh, uh, wherever you get your podcast, This Week in Business History, or of course, I think the link, we can drop that in the show notes uh, and would welcome your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. All right. So let's see if this is clicker going to work here. Um, a little heads up, November 9th at 12 in Easter time, I'm going to be getting with uh, Laura and uh, Madov, and we're going to be talking about the supply chain of 2020, uh, 2020, no, that's two years ago, 2022 and beyond. You know, we're, we hear a lot about resiliency and agility, but how are business leaders really baking that into their supply chain? So join us 12 noon, November 9th. The link to register for free is in the show notes. Okay, so Kelly... One of our favorite things to do is to uh, uh, really celebrate who all is with us is in the, uh, that that joined us in the sky boxes, right? Yes, it is. I can't wait to see who's already here with us. And a little, you know, we, we gotta um, before we say hello to a few folks, we gotta close the loop. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring our audience in on a little thing. So I'm getting a little private chat that Amanda <laughs> was attempting to turn her camera off, but instead she added, she says, "I added myself to the stream." I could die is what she said. So, uh, but like Jada says, it is okay. It is okay, Amanda. Great to have you here. Really appreciate what. Please don't die, of... Amanda. We would miss you. We love you. Don't go. <laughs> but that was sure was funny. I'm going to give her a hard time <laughs> later today, maybe. Um, all right. So let's say hello to a few folks. We got Jonathan with us, tuning in from New Jersey via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Uh, Rajitha uh, is tuned in via LinkedIn from Sri Lanka. Uh, great to have you here today. I'm looking forward to your perspective. Um, who is tuned in from North Carolina? So we don't. So in this cases, folks, uh, if you if we refer to your comments and you see it's kind of hidden, it just means that you haven't allowed LinkedIn to kind of share your profile. So uh, let us know who that is, folks. That is. Um, well, we'll wait to identify that person soon. Let's see here. Mervin is back with us from Dublin via LinkedIn. Kelly, have you ever been on an episode? He, re he really brings it each and every time, doesn't he? As I would expect from Ireland, I'm second-generation American, so thank you for being here, Mervyn, representing Ireland. That is awesome. And hopefully, so I think his family hails from India, okay. and I hope last time we checked in on Mervyn, you know, of course, that was that was probably a month or a couple months ago. I hope your family are doing well and thriving, and I hope uh, we've all gotten made strides towards the post-pandemic environment that we're all working hard yes. to so, Mervyn, great to have you here. Gene Pledger is with us, Kelly. 
And he, do you see where he's from? Either North America or does not apply. <laughs> would be my guess. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Those are two great guesses. But Gene has picked up on this little gag we've had, a little dad joke for 20 years. Whenever someone says L.A., we're like, oh, lower Alabama. Oh. Especially if they mean... <laughs> Yeah, Los Angeles. So he, he picked up on that. He is from North Alabama. And Gene would love to know uh, your favorite barbecue spot. That's one of the things I think of that in dominant football, uh, which hurts my heart as a Clemson fan. But Gene, great to have you here with us today. And that was, uh, let's see, this is Angela from North Carolina. So great to see you here, Angela. Hi, Angela. Kelly, thinking of, of barbecue. Sorry, I'm on a food kick here. North Carolina has that uh, by the truckload. So Angela, let us you know. Do where your favorite one of some of your favorite places to eat are. Okay. So again, today, folks, we're going to be talking about some of the key takeaways from the EMEA version of Gartner's supply chain symposium expo 2021. Um, so Kelly, with no further ado, uh, are you ready to bring in Mike Griswold? I am ready. Bring him on in. All right, let's do it. Let's welcome in Mike Griswold, vice president analyst with Gartner. Hey, Hey Mike, good afternoon. Hi, How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. How's everyone? Nice to see everyone. Nice to see uh, you as well. Nice to see Amanda for about 17 seconds. And I didn't know if they were going to swoosh someone else in and kind of surprise me and Kelly. But so we got Mike Griswold. We got the right guest and really excited to reconnect with you here today. Hey, Scott, let me, as someone who's been married 35 years, my suggestion is you drop the video topic or you will have bigger problems than water in your backyard. Trust me. Trust me. Oh. Mike does not miss a beat, does he, Kelly? You know what? I would say, Amanda, advice, hold out for dinner out tonight. Yes. It's not okay until you get him yes. to commit to not cooking dinner tonight. <laughs> oh, oh God. Yes. You know, we we really miss, uh, and we'll be back in the studio soon, uh, King Plow in Atlanta, where we're building our third generation studio. But we had, we, uh, we'd get together, we'd knock out a show, and then we'd do a, a promo video, right, to promote the episode. And we'd always have lots of bloopers and outtakes and stuff, you know, and I miss that. I really miss that. It's good for the soul, but uh, it's good to see some of that stuff remotely. Okay. So Kelly and Mike, uh, we're going to do an abridged version of our lightning round, which okay. is where we, we get a chance to, to talk everything but business with Mike just for a couple of minutes on the front end. And um, speaking of uh, Gene, we got back to us, Jim and Nick's but you can't really go wrong anywhere in Alabama when it comes to barbecue. How about that? Um, all right. So first up, we're going to, we're going to broach two topics with you here this morning, Mike. First up it's national coaches day. How about okay. that? National coaches day. Um, Dabo Sweeney, of course, a Clemson coach. We're having a hard time this season, but boy, he has really changed the culture at Clemson university. Now you volunteer. We've talked a lot with you going back, you know, to your first appearance, probably. You volunteer a lot of your time as a basketball coach, uh, and I think you've got a couple of rings, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but what <laughs> what is your favorite part of coaching, or better yet, what's your favorite uh, story from your time coaching? So probably my favorite uh, experience, and, and I'll definitely date myself with this reference, is uh, every summer we take usually between 25 and 30 girls to a team basketball camp in Utah. I, as hopefully most people remember, I live just outside of Boise. That's about a five-hour bus ride. It's uh, we play eight games in three days, so there it's a lot of a lot of games, a lot of exercise for the girls. Usually by it's usually a Monday through Thursday, and usually by Wednesday. Girls are pretty tired. They're pretty sore. So I'm doing bed check. And we this has been a pretty rough week for us 
in terms of physical conditioning for the girls. So I, I did a bed check on, on one room. There's three girls and they're all wrapped themselves in ice, ice on the knee, ice on the hips, ice on the ankles. <laughs> and I look at them and I said, man, you guys look like a mash unit. And they looked at me like, coach, what, what the <laughs> heck are you talking about? One says, what's mash? I said, all right, are all of you in your room? Yes. All right. I'm out of here. So yeah, I, I need to, I need to work on my TV references. I think with, with, with some of these generations of kids that I'm, that I get to interact with. Oh gosh. Well, you know, we all do. Uh, we've talked before about when you used to go in schools, talk supply chain. I would always ask the class until it dawned on me, Hey, did y'all eat your Wheaties this morning? Because we got a full day. And all of them, these third graders are like, what in the world yeah. are Wheaties? <laughs> yeah. But um, we all have to update our references. Um, yeah. So speaking of MASH, Mike, that's a great segue, Kelly, to your second question, right? <laughs> yes. And actually, I have to give Mike huge credit. We were in the green room in advance of all coming on. And Scott offered to have me tell you the questions that I'm going to ask. And you turned me down. So I give you a lot of credit. Um I'm a huge World War II military history buff. I know you okay. share that interest. Yes. So here is what I want to know about your enjoyment of that period in history. Two questions. Okay. First question is, of these three, what's your favorite theater when either learning about or, or watching documentaries from World War II? Europe, the Pacific, or Northern Africa? Uh, that, that's a really tough one. Um, I'm going to, everyone knows I'm an analyst. I'm actually going to give you two answers. It's probably the Pacific because of the things that we learned uh, around island hopping. And that's where we actually learned how to do um, island invasions uh, because my heart has always been in Europe with D-Day. So I think those would be the two. I mean, I think what happened in the Pacific is is underreported in history. It's it's not talked about a whole lot. It's not written about. I suggest uh, anyone that's interested in World War II and you want to learn more about things you probably didn't know, read about the Pacific Theater, particularly places like Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, Okinawa. Um, there there are some things that happen there that that we just don't know enough about it. from a general population. We don't appreciate enough the veterans that went through what they went through in the Pacific. Yeah. Even though a lot more of that footage is in color, right? When you look yes. at the different actual footage from the time, more of it from the Pacific was in color. And yet we all tend to see more of the, the European stuff. Yeah. Sorry, real quick. My other yeah. recommendation is everyone, when they when they want to watch something, they gravitate to Band of Brothers, which is great. And I love that. But there's also a series on the Pacific, which is done in the same style. I highly recommend people watch that one as well. When possible, go to the real footage. Right? Yes. yes. All right. I love those. You, you got a second question, though, Kelly. I do. Yes, yeah. I do have a second question. Okay. Now we're going to do equipment. Okay. Are you more interested in World War II aircraft, tanks, or amphibia stuff, the Higgins Bodes, Project Mulberry, stuff like that. Which which one of those things more grabs your interest? Yeah, it's the aircraft, uh, hands down. When I was a kid, I, I had model airplanes. Um, I had model airplanes hanging from the ceiling. My favorite, <clears throat> if you want to be super specific, my favorite bomber is the B-24 Liberator. My favorite fighter, which won't be a surprise, is the P-51 Mustang, shortly followed by the, the British Spitfire. Um, so... Aircraft for sure is is where my passion lied, particularly as a kid. Uh, I had an art teacher 
when I was, again, I'll date myself. When I was in uh, elementary school, we had an art teacher. His name was Mr. Fleming. He was a B-24 pilot. Uh, and he had, and he also had beautiful charcoal drawings that he had made during the war that he would show us. I would stay after school to, to look at those. So yeah, aircraft, that, that was an easy one. It's, it's aircraft. <laughs> well, Excellent. You've got some kindred spirits there. Andre is a huge P-51 Mustang fan. Uh, so great to hear. Let us know, folks, what are you, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's so many supply chain logistics lessons mm, to be absolutely. learned throughout World War II as well. Uh, so let us know what y'all like. Great questions, Kelly. Uh, we I have, have, sorry, Scott, one last thing yeah, real quick. Sure. So we, ha we have uh, in Nampa, which is just around the corner, we have uh, a small Air Force Museum. And we actually have on the museum uh, a P-40 uh, a P-51 and uh, a T-6 Texan, which is a trainer. Uh, and there's a golf course that my wife and I frequent quite frequently that is right across the street from there. So when we're golfing, you can hear the P-40s and you oh, can wow. hear them. And, and once you've heard a P-51 Mustang in person, you always know when the P-51s are flying. So very awesome. fortunate to, to be here and have those that close. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to add one more airframe, the B-17 Flying Fortress. We were yes. talking before you joined us um, in television, which is one of the earliest video game consoles back in the late 70s, early 80s, had this B-17 game where you, you, you did bombing missions and it had a, had a voice simulator. And I'm not going to replicate that here today. Oh, come on. <laughs> Come on. B-17 bomb. <laughs> it's almost exact, exactly what it sounded like. Uh, but anyway, the B-17, of course, I mean, it is amazing how industry pivoted and then moved yes. from, you know, that butter to guns uh, and just cranked out what needed to be um, produced uh, for the, the, the war. Um, and also it goes without saying, but man, that we always find a way to broker peace. So we avoid that what a, a, a catastrophe on so many different levels, uh, World War II. So, but lots of history, lots of lessons learned, and may we never repeat some of those. Okay, so Mike and Kelly, I uh, appreciate Mike. Always, you're a great sports person when it comes to our lightning round. Let's talk about, though, uh, the EMEA version of the Gartner sure. uh, Supply Chain Symposium Expo 2021. It just wrapped probably two or three weeks ago. Uh, the America's version, folks, is coming up soon, uh, later in October. Registration is still open, folks. Um, uh, if we can drop that link in the comments so folks have that handy, that'd be great. But, Mike, the main question we want to uh, talk with you about here today is some of your key takeaways from the EMEA version. Where, would we, where do we start? So let me start with a, a prop, if I could. And everyone knows how... LinkedIn challenged I am, but I will find a way to post this on LinkedIn. What this is, is we have um, a woman comes to our symposium events and she listens. Uh, this particular kind of graphic is from our keynote and she listens to the keynote and she's able to, to draw kind of this type of, I'll call it a picture, but it's not doing it justice. It's basically the story arc with pictures and words of our keynote. And our, our main theme for the conference itself was, okay, what, what is the supply chain going to do moving forward to kind of help us through the crisis that we've been in to, to the crisis that we're still kind of enduring now? And there were three big takeaways that, that we talked about 
in that keynote and kind of permeated across the entire event. And, and let me just give you the three, and then we can talk about each of them in a little bit, uh, a little bit more detail. The first is this idea of sustainable profit and sustainable profitability, which is at its core, it's understanding that you know organizations are around to deliver a profit, but how do you do that sustainably? So it's the convergence of all the work that we've been doing around sustainability and how do you use that within the business and still be able to make a profit. That was the first kind of big theme. The second is this idea of shared purpose. So when we did and we spoke, Scott, a few months ago about our supply chain top 25, one of the macro trends that we talked about is integrated purpose-driven organizations. And this is the recognition that organizations, yes, have a responsibility to shareholders, but more and more organizations acknowledge they have a responsibility to associates, to customers, and to the planet. And, and this idea of as a supply chain, how do we do that in, in a shared manner across our ecosystem? And then lastly, speaking of ecosystems, it's around how do you create value-aligned ecosystems? So how do you find like-minded suppliers that share the same kind of beliefs and, and foundational goals that you have as a supply chain, how do you find partners upstream and downstream around that? And I think it's interesting from, you know, we talked before we hopped on the air about kind of what's different between EMEA and the North American event. I would suggest, we can circle back to this, but I would suggest the themes are the same. We, we tend to look to Europe and, and would like Kelly's thoughts on this as well. We tend to see Europe farther advanced or further advanced in the areas around sustainability, environmental, social, and governance, particularly on the environmental side. I don't know, frankly, that anyone's farther ahead in, say, diversity, equity, inclusion you know, from around the world perspective. We all have lots of work to do in that area. But this idea of, of sustainable profit, maybe we start with that. Uh, because we're getting uh, so, Mike. If I'll, I could, yeah, if I could please. interject really quick yeah. before we get back into sustainable profit, I think you make a great point, and I think it's it might be lost on a lot of folks. I'm not a a big world traveler, and and I can't wait till we can get out and connect with folks and see operations firsthand. But two things immediately come to mind: more on the operational side, um, our ports. You think of the port right. system we have here in the in the states; they're almost individual. Uh, um, uh, fiefdoms, you know, fiefdoms, or whatever you pronounce that. And that's a huge opportunity. Gene Soroka, who leads the um, one of the ports in the West Coast, has talked about, he said verbatim recently, that ports elsewhere are decades ahead of where U.S. ports are. And there's a massive visibility and uh, information sharing uh, play amongst a variety of parties that will help us break through some of what we're experiencing now. And then secondly, you know, we've covered the um, there's a new cargo system that and, and really a, a whole new approach to air cargo that the one of the world's busiest airports at times, the busiest here in Atlanta, uh, Hartsville, Jackson. Well, in talking with their cargo leaders, you know, Atlanta was a very manually driven cargo operation and they brought folks uh, from from either India or somewhere in the Pacific Rim in to modernize how they approach cargo. So, so you make a great point. One that I think is a great point for level setting on the front of this conversation. Kelly, before we move back to sustainable profit, any comments on your end? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that 
has been, I think, has gotten more news coverage recently when you think about the difference between U.S. ports and what ha- is happening globally is that, especially when you look at Long Beach, for instance, in California, there's no third shift. This is a huge deal. And so, you know, how we handle that, we think about all the equipment constraints and the modernization constraints and all of those things, but there's no third shift, right? So right. how we approach these things in in different areas you know, certainly there's all these different levers that we can pull when we're trying to figure out how to make things work more smoothly worldwide. Uh, one final note, the good, the good news is the Port of New Orleans and uh, I think it's the Port of Long Beach is exper- is experimenting, piloting uh, some of the data share uh, technology and platforms, which who knows if it goes out, if it goes well, maybe it will catch on and, and spread. But as Jason points out, our port system is severely lacking. It's definitely been evident with this pandemic. Okay. So, Mike, uh, let's go back. Uh, sustainable profit. So, share a little more uh, uh, thoughts around that. Yeah, I think it's that we've got a, a lot of research on this. It, it, it talks about things like, you know, understanding, you know, the the kind of the the perspective of of your customer, whomever that might be. Right, that could be an end consumer who buys stuff. It could be the next node in the supply chain. But really understanding from you know an environmental perspective, what's the impact that your supply chain has potentially on their supply chain and vice versa? You know, when, when I look to Europe in particular, you know, you you see them collaboration certainly is I think a, a skill set that they have figured out uh, a little bit better than we have, frankly. They've also you know the, the government, rightly or wrongly, has been more actively involved in things like uh, sustainability target setting, emissions targets, all those types of things, packaging, you know, some of the earliest package labeling around giving information to the customer, all that came out of Europe. And, you know, I think there's a lot that we can learn from from Europe around their approach to sustainability uh, and, and how that affects the supply chain. Now, certainly there are things that, you know, they've had to overcome. If you think of, you know, the UK, they're an island, okay? There's things you've got to do when you're an island that maybe we don't have to necessarily worry about. You know, our infrastructure, the scope of the United States, uh, but even things like rail, just as an example, right? The, the adoption and the use of rail in Europe as a supply chain node is very different than than our approach here. Some of it may be cost-driven, some of it may have other other drivers behind that. But more and more organizations around the world are starting to look at the link between the sustainability capabilities of their supply chain and what does that mean to the bottom line. What I don't want people to take away from this, though, is when we say sustainable profit, it's not that the profit discussion is coming first. And and, and that's the exact opposite. What's happening is people are having the sustainability discussion first and realizing that there is uh, there is the ability to be sustainable and drive profits at the same time. And I think that is something that Europe has started to figure out a little bit more quickly than us. Well said. Hey, really quick, Kelly, before you might respond, old Mohib is with us. Hello, Mohib. Hi, Mohib. Wichita, Kansas, our capital of the world. <laughs> Did not know that Power Mike was on. I would have dialed P much earlier. <laughs> Great to have you with us, Mohib. Okay, so Kelly, first off, it is head cold season, and I am. we're fighting through a head cold here. So if I drop off, 
it's because I don't want to uh, hack on them in front of y'all. Uh, so, <laughs> so Kelly, let's talk about how you can be sustainable and profitable. Sure. Some of what Mike shared there. Sure. So one thing that's interesting that I've actually learned over the last 18 months or so, and so Mike, my, my primary focus is within procurement, but obviously there's a lot of overlap there with supply chain. And that's when you look at an initiative like sustainability in Europe, whether you're talking about how companies execute or whether you're talking about regulation, they actually have diversity rolled in as part of that in many cases. So in the U.S., where we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion is completely separate from sustainable supply chains or green sourcing or something like that. They're, they're both implied together in that sustainability initiative in Europe. Um, but one question for you, one thing that you, you touched upon is this idea of, you know, the sort of the risk versus reward of either regulation, I guess you could look at it that way, or public-private partnerships. Um, were there any takeaways or anything that you're expecting to hear about in the U.S. when it comes to the good that government bodies or regulatory bodies might be able to do versus maybe unintentional complications or drag on the process? Any thoughts about you know, how public and private sectors should be ideally working together to advance these initiatives? Yeah, I, it's, it's a great question, Kelly, and I will do my best to, to not make this a political response to of that. Course, if, I yeah. look, if I look at Europe, right, I think they've got a good balance or at least a good starting point of the balance between what the government wants to put forward and then how private business is going to respond to that and have the ability to, to maybe push back in, in some ways. I think here, if I just look at some of the, the directives that, the, that our government here is trying to push forward during the pandemic, I, I don't have a lot of confidence doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. I, I don't feel there, I don't have any confidence that any government legisla legislation is really going to get a lot of traction, primarily because one side or the other is going to politicize it. I think here in the States, we, we will probably have more success if we get um, kind of grassroots pressure from maybe environmental organizations, if we get grassroots pressures from people like us, the consumers, who say, hey, you know, we're only going to buy from companies that have, to your point, which was a very good one, Kelly, you know, that have communicated a supplier diversity program, as an example, right? So those are the companies that I want to do business with. You know, as a consumer, you know, we have that power to say, those are the organizations that I want to, you know, participate with. Um, those are, you know, if I am a, you know, everyone knows my background is retailer, right? If I'm a retailer, you know, I can make the choice to partner with diverse suppliers, right? I can make that choice and I can talk about that. And then the the market can kind of decide, you know, is that, is that what we want our, our businesses to do? So I, I do, I don't want people to think that, that I feel government doesn't have a role because it does. Right. I think we are in an environment where it's going to be hard for the government to, to rally the troops. I think the government can probably be a supporting agency, will have to be a supporting agency. But I think for us in the States, it's going to have to come from the, from the ground up, from enough people voicing with their wallets. This is what's important to us. And some of it is just simple complexities, right? I think I read a story recently that you know, everybody knows the little green symbol with the three arrows that suggests recycling. 
Right. There's no regulatory standards or requirements for placing that on a product. So that might be an area where we could say, okay, here are the requirements for this being used yeah. in, in terms of what it signals to the consumer. Excellent exactly. point. Excellent point. Um, the supply chain czar has gotten a little bit of talk. And, and you know, I tend to agree with you, Mike, that everything, if it can be politicized, political parties will do just that. And, and all political parties will. However, there is some value I would place on someone that does have the power to cut through some of the bureaucracy, listening to the grassroots, listening to the folks that do know the industry leaders out there uh, where um, maybe we can't make all the progress we want. Man, I think if we could just uh, make some uh, some headway on some of these things that seem to be seem to be no nonsense. It just we need we need right. we need people to, to uh, we need a leader with real leadership that can bring these parties together and, and find some consensus to move forward, move the needle, but we'll see not holding my breath. Um, I want to share this from Shyam. Great to have you here with us. Shyam uh, via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Aptly said the main challenge is, is supply chain sustainability to run the business, then adaptability of new technology integration, bringing visibility across the system. Nicely said there. Nicely said, let's see here. Mohib says you can claim the bragging rights only when your supply chain now is sustainable and profitable. He's throwing down the gauntlet uh, on us, uh, guys. Rest is cheap talks, what my kid would say. Recycle, recycle, and recycle. Good stuff there. Okay. Um, so, Mike, first topic was sustainable profit. Secondly is shared purpose. So tell us more about that. What we're finding is, as we talk to organizations and we look at some of our research, you know, what we're finding is kind of a, a groundswell within organizations uh, from an associate uh, population perspective, working their way up uh, into higher levels of the organization around kind of what are we here to do a as an organization. So, yes, we're here to make widgets, but what else are we here to do? You know, are we here to, you know, try and, you know, make the planet a better planet? Are we here to try to, you know, address social issues? You know, what other than making widgets and making money, kind of what's our purpose? And not only finding that within the organization, but also as we think about kind of how do we move into that third, which is the value aligned ecosystems, mm -hmm. it's who else do we share this with, right? How, who, what other nodes of our supply chain share the same values as we do or want to address the same challenges that we do? How do we start to align with them from an ecosystem perspective? But I think before you can do that, it has to start internally. And what we're finding is you know, there there is that that younger generation of, of of the workforce. These social issues, these environmental issues are really important to them. And it's important to them that they work at a company that has that shared value and that shared purpose. So you know, I think that's why you know, we're finding, and this is where I think there is a difference between the U.S. and Europe, and I think it's it's a difference in a different direction. You know, I, at least I don't see uh, as much of the associate groundswell. Maybe it's because we just don't hear about it here in the United States, but I don't hear as much of kind of that associate pushing or associates pushing 
European organizations in certain directions to address certain issues that I see here in the United States. When you think about what happened, you know, around George Floyd, think about what's happened uh, around just the environment and in the UN's announcement around climate. Right, there's been a, a huge groundswell with of, of associates within organizations saying, "Hey." What are we doing about this? And I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that that, that European companies, that's not important to them. Um, but I tend to see that a lot more here in the United States where, where the associates are, are, are really pushing the organization to step out into traffic and take a stance on stuff. And I think, you know, as a supply chain, you know, it, it can be challenging for us because we're the supply chain, right? We're not the the corporate face oftentimes, you know, unless maybe you're Amazon, right? We're not the corporate face of, of the organization. We're the enablers that sits behind the scenes. But, you know, we are getting pushed to the forefront because of the pandemic in terms of now everyone knows what a supply chain is. So it's that rallying around a common cause, both internally and then finding like-minded organizations in your ecosystem. That was really that second uh, theme that we've that we were talking about. Hey, Kelly, I want you to respond but really quick. It's good that associates, members of the um, uh, of the workforce, can challenge your organizations and leadership, and and be and 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 know that their voice uh, they got the freedom to do so uh, here, uh, and hopefully we can drive some some change that needs to take place. But Kelly, talk about this shared purpose. Purpose is such a not just a powerful word, but but a powerful force. Sure. Well, and, and what I think about, Mike, in listening to you talk about that is, you know, certainly the first step is companies and different leaders within the business coming out and making very public statements in terms of value systems or priorities or programs they're putting in place, even sometimes benchmarks or milestones they intend to measure themselves by. But I think the interesting point you make about sort of this groundswell from the bottom up, the critical piece that goes with that is accountability, right? So, some flashy executive comes out and says, oh, we're going to do A, B, and C, or we're going to make this really important. But does it happen? And it does create risk for the enterprise if that does not get carried out. And it's actually people that take these initiatives as being very core to their own purpose and want to see their company reinforce that. I think being someone at an associate level that steps up and says, hey, I see that we're doing something that does not strike me as being consistent with statements or priorities that we have issued publicly. Not only does it keep the company on track and potentially become a career advancement opportunity, it actually guards the company against risk that people that are in the execution layer doing the work face-to-face, whether it's with suppliers or customers or other kinds of ecosystem partners, I see that as a huge and valuable opportunity that you do not have to have a key to the executive washroom in order to make a difference. Yeah, Kelly, I agree. We, we've started to see, even within our top 25 research, organizations putting um, some of those targets in executive compensation, right? Whether it's, you know, embracing a DE&I program, whether it's being more um, aggressive on sustainability targets. And I think to your point, which is an excellent one, I mean, it's one thing to, to say stuff in the press so that you get a sound bite that is, you know, kind of aligned with what the, the, the talk track of the day is. It's quite another, though, to have that actually start to become part of your DNA. And, and, when, and when we, when our, you know, our, when our talent analysts talk to companies, I think that's their biggest message is making sure that there is the connection between 
what are you saying publicly and what are you actually doing day in and day out? And it's okay if what you're saying publicly is kind of aspirational, as long as you're doing those things on a day-to-day basis that will get you to that aspiration. I think where associates get really frustrated is exactly what you described, Kelly, is, is you've got you know uh, an executive saying one thing and people behind the scenes, when they see it or read it, are all rolling their eyes because they, they, they're they saying to themselves, this bears no resemblance to what I live 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week. Right? And everybody knows that truth, right? Suppliers yes. know, customers yes. know, partners know. Everybody knows when there's a misalignment between nice, flowery PR statements and what's actually happening. Whenever I hear, hear the phrase, I roll, my mind instantly goes to my my dear Brantley, my oldest daughter. She has an, a Hall of Fame I roll, folks. <laughs> Hall of Fame. Okay. I want to share a couple a couple of quick comments here. Mike Aver, great to have you back. Mike, hope you hope this finds you well. Vote with your dollar really has a meaning today. Excellent point. Excellent point. Rhonda, and hope this finds you well out in Arizona. Rhonda, agreed young people are engaged with a host of environmental and social issues. Good stuff there. So are we okay to leave? I've got uh, well, time check. We probably should go ahead and knock out this third one value aligned ecosystems. And, and and really I would argue that um that the first two points kind of kind of touch on this third one, value aligned ecosystem. They, they, they do, Scott. And I think the 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 word in there that I really want to probably highlight more than anything else is this idea of ecosystem. We we've been talking about that for a while at, at Gartner as it relates to the supply chain. We we see this as an evolution from this idea of a network to this idea of an ecosystem. Oftentimes, even even when we describe a network, people think of it more as a linear sequencing. Things in the network kind of flow from A to B to C. In an ecosystem, we we kind of picture that much more as kind of a matrix type of, of depiction where in your ecosystem, you certainly have suppliers for sure, right? But you've also got in your ecosystem, now we want to add associates, we want to add suppliers, we want to add the environment, right? The ecosystem now has things that I would suggest are tangible, like your suppliers, and things that are maybe intangible to a degree, like the planet. And what we're finding is organizations that may traditionally have been competitors are now finding a common ground. Plastics is a perfect one, right? Where we've got numbers, you know, significant numbers of organizations that on, if you looked at it on paper, you would say they compete with each other, but they're aligning around what are we going to do about plastics? How are we going to start to take plastics you know, out of the environment, out of the ecosystem um, so that we can have you know, a, a better place, particularly in the, in the ocean? So it's starting to, to do two things, really. See your supply chain as an ecosystem and identify partners in that ecosystem, regardless of competitive affiliation, that share the same cause that you want to work towards. Those causes, at least initially, tend to be around the environment. But I could easily see organizations banding together uh, around social issues as well. But I think the environment right now is the one that has most people's attention. Uh, I think it's also the one that people feel can probably have the most public impact, uh, both from actually changing things, but also if I think about in the back of people's mind, hey, we want to get credit for stuff, right? Let's do it in the environment. People can see that. I think the social issues uh, are a lot harder because 
They are much more internal to the organization, you know, things like you know, people's own DE&I journey. Uh, and also every social kind of discussion has two sides to it, right? And and both sides are worth discussing and listening to, right? Which we sometimes struggle with. So to me, it's this environmental focus is where we're going to see people banding together uh, over the next several years, particularly around su- the supply chain. Okay. A lot to, un- to, to dive into there, Kelly. Give me just one second. I want to say hello to Nerf. Nerf, you're back. Great to have you here. He's been busy putting out fires, making it happen, getting stuff moved here today. Uh, Simon is with us. Uh, Simon says, great to see you. He says, social impact is ground up, but it can be top down. Companies need to have social uh, a social impact team, a department, with representation on the board and regular engagement with all the staff. I think his company, O9, does just that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And Stacy says Africa is also getting on board with eco supply chains. You know, Stacy, that's a great point. And from our uh, supply chain leadership across Africa that we do with Jenny Froome and, and Sapix, there's also a lot of um, opening of business opportunities be, uh, between all the countries that make up the continent of Africa. A lot, a lot, a lot of free trade gains. Um, uh, that lies ahead for sure. Okay, so Kelly, talking about this this notion of the ecosystem, which Gartner appears to be a uh, a thought leader on for years. Uh, some of your your takeaway there? Sure. Well, and to your point about sustainability, Mike, it's it's funny because you know we said right up front that your last symposium hmm. was focused on EMEA. Um, very simple, four letters, but it hmm. is a massive, very diverse, both socially, governmentally, and environmentally area when you're talking about those three areas. I'm wondering how much commonality, so we say sustainability, right? And you talked a little bit about plastics, but there's also emissions, there's how people Mm -hmm. are taking raw materials out of the ground. To what extent were the next level down topics within this idea of sustainability consistent across Europe, the Middle East, and, and Africa? And to what extent would you say that those three areas were kind of focusing in different places either based on their resources or, or what types of supply chains are the focus there? Yeah, I think it's a great point, Kelly. It's very easy for us, us, me on the Gartner side to say sustainability and EMEA in the same uh, breath, but you're exactly right. They, if you look at Europe, the Middle East and Africa, all three of them have very different focus areas around sustainability. If you look at Europe, it's probably more around packaging, carbon, the, the the traditional things we would think about from a sustainability perspective. But I think about Africa, given the natural resources that it's that it has, there's a lot more focus on things like responsible sourcing, conflict minerals, those types of things, which frankly probably doesn't get enough airtime in the grand context of sustainability because you know, I just don't, it's just not talked about as much, right? Everyone talks about their carbon footprint, you know, reducing carbon, but there's probably an equal opportunity to worry about conflict minerals because of the social issues that come along with that, right? The working conditions, how people are treated, all that, to, and just the devastation when it's done improperly that it can have on the environment when you do that. And I, the Middle East is the one, frankly, that that I don't have a good perspective on, Um we don't talk to a lot of Middle Eastern companies. They they don't tend to talk a lot about what's going on there. So that's the one area that I don't have a perspective on. Don't know if you, you might have one, which would be great to share, but I, you're exactly right though. Sustainability is a broad topic and we really shouldn't 
uh, I shouldn't kind of lump everyone's sustainability objectives together because they are different just based on those three pockets of, of that make up EMEA. And then it's all going to be different once we bring that back. And I know you have the, the North American Symposium mm-hmm. coming up. I don't know if there are already expectations or, or kind of a buzz in the air around, uh, you know, we touched on this a little bit, maybe similar themes carried over, but different areas of focus or, or different insights. Any sort of early thoughts about what you're expecting to hear at the next Event. Yeah, we're, we're really interested around the feedback that we get. The The keynote will be pretty much the same, talking about those same three key areas. It'll be interesting, interesting to see how a North American audience responds to that uh, from the standpoint of, hey, there are some things that we've done as a supply chain in the past that probably haven't been great, that have in some ways kind of contributed to some of the challenges we're facing now. You know, how how much people want to acknowledge that or even hear that will be interesting. You know, I think there there is a heavy focus around the people side of our supply chain that I think may make some North American audiences, uh, attendees a little bit uncomfortable as we talk about things like DE&I, which is, it's supposed to do that, right? It, you're supposed to be able to have some of these uncomfortable conversations. So if people take this in the spirit in which it's intended, which is, hey, here's some things we got to do collectively to be better as a supply chain. And here's the byproduct of that right? A better planet, better working conditions. And oh, by the way, you can still be profitable, right? If if they take that in the spirits it, it, that it's intended, um, then I think the message we will be well, will, will be well received. Um, I wish we had another hour with you, Mike, but I know you've got a, a pretty tough stop as always. Um, so for the sake of time, Kelly, because I want to, uh, after we swoosh Mike out and he gets on about his his crazy day, I want to get some of your key, key thoughts. I also want to talk about Dial P. Uh, so rather than talk about fourth quarter, really quick, uh, Mike, uh, so the America's version is coming up. Uh, Amanda and Jada and Clay, I think we dropped that link in the Skybox. Appreciate that. Let's make sure we do that. Um, but, Mike, how else can folks connect with what you've got going on and Gartner's got going on? Where else? Uh, how can they find you? Well, we've done a lot of work to, to really upgrade the Gartner.com website, make it a little bit easier for people to find things, particularly our events. Um, can reach me at LinkedIn. I will figure out how to put that picture up uh, so people can have that. Because I, I do think if, if you just take a moment and digest that, it really gives you a sense of kind of where we see the supply chain going uh, and what everyone's role in that can be moving forward. Uh, email is fine too, right? I'm still an old school email person, Mike.Griswold at Gartner.com. But, but I, I love enjoy, uh, love talking to people uh, around the topic. Well, it, your passion is always, always present. It's like speed speed in baseball, speed in defense. They never take, they never, uh, what's, what's the old saying, Mike? Um, there's Unlike batting, right? Folks go in cold spurts. Speed and defense is always there, always steady, no slumps. Defense uh, travels. Yes, defense travels even <laughs> better, Mike. Man, I'm gonna add that one to my uh, to my list. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. Uh, really appreciate that. We'd love to get a copy of that graphic, and and we can help you uh, get it out there. But always a pleasure, Mike Griswold with Gartner. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was great to see everyone. Yeah, we'll bye bye. Okay, Kelly. There's so much there that Mike brings to the table that I wanted to take just an extra minute or two to yeah. digest and maybe get some of your your key takeaways. We also have a few comments here. Uh, maybe we'll start there. So 
T squared who holds down the fort for us on YouTube says social impacts teams help to keep companies grounded and can possibly help to disrupt retool within. How about that, Kelly? Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's that connection between the public facing and what's actually happening inside a company. It's critical that they be aligned. Did you know, Chris Barnes once told me that the word absolutely is the, by far and away, the number one word uttered on all podcasts, except <laughs> on my podcasts. No one ever agrees with me, Kelly. So thank you. Thanks and so look, much. I'm there. And then I probably say absolutely. <laughs> and just for Chris, that's a very boring fact. <laughs> if you follow Chris's podcast, you'll get that. That's right. Supply chain is boring. Yes. Uh, good stuff there. No, no inside jokes here, Kelly. But although, <laughs> what, what, what does Michael Scott say on the office? Uh, inside jokes. I love inside jokes. I hope to be part of one one day, <laughs> Michael Scott. So, all right. Uh, let's see here. Mike Avera says, cheaper is not always better. Most times it only gets you temporary gains. That is an excellent point, Mike. Excellent point. Um, so, Andre, we're not going to dive into blockchain. This is a great question, though. Uh, he says, I think blockchain can be important to track how products are made, where it's from, and what materials are used. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. Uh, that way, it's possible to know the carbon footprint and also make it easier to recycle. What's your take on it? Kelly, if you got a quick take, I'd, I'd welcome it. Very quick take to what Mike said about conflict minerals, especially in Africa. Blockchain is being used to get mine-specific tracing of all of the materials coming out the human rights conditions, everything, all the way down through as that material is processed in the supply chain. So absolutely, Andre. Love that. Um, and and Amanda, Jada, if we could drop uh, Kevin L. Jackson got with Corinne Bursa on Tech Talk uh, and talked about 10 things you got to know about blockchain. If we can drop a link to that in the comments, that'd be great. I would just also add, <clears throat> as the resident non-technologist and certainly not a blockchain expert, I read a great case study. It's been a few months ago. But farmers in a certain part of the world, uh, they are using a handheld device that's that's uh, powered by blockchain to ensure that their um, the wool that they're collecting has not uh, the um, where do we get wool from lamb sheep okay sheep uh, that the sheep has not been uh, on the wrong land right in non sustainable ways and they use that handheld device to verify and confirm that and they get paid more. So what a wonderful uh, approach blockchain uh, is powering there. Mohib says, our house is on fire, says Greta Thunberg, 16 years old. As consumers, are we too arrogant to purchase products of convenience that will eventually put our planet in fire? Our DNA is past wake-up call. It needs a shockwave revival like in ER. Mohib, is, he's on fire today with his comments, isn't he, Kelly? He's, I hope his house is not on fire, though. <laughs> Just you, Mohib. <laughs> That's right. Mohib, thanks so much for joining us. I think Greg White is headed out your way uh, really soon. And we got to make that student version live stream of Wichita State students happen soon, Mohib. We're overdue there. Okay, looks like we've dropped the links there. Y'all check out uh, Blockchain. Make sure uh, that Blockchain episode on Tech Talk. Make sure you check out the um, America's version of the Gartner event. Um, all right, so Kelly... One of the last things I want to talk to you about is Dial P for procurement. Um, we just dropped the replay of the last live stream focused on uh, an area that probably doesn't get enough attention, pricing. Or uh, not pricing. Well, I guess pricing and transactions, right? Processing. Payment processing, really, right? And, and it's funny because as I was thinking about 
We had a really interesting conversation with Jim Luff from Chosen Payments and Chris from Una, just in talking about how it works behind the scenes and then what difference it makes to relationships between companies and their customers. This is another one of those critical connection points between what you say around even something lower level like supplier relationship management or how do we say we're going to work with our supply partners and then we don't pay them on time or you know we make them sit and wait we make them have a difficult time getting information on status so i think for procurement knowing how all of that works really under the system jim gave us all of the basics on how third party credit card processing works which is really important and then what that ends up meaning from a cash flow perspective as we push to do business with local and smaller suppliers, we need to be in the weeds on payment processing and how well that works around timing and transaction and cost for the supplier. Because if we don't understand that, we're actually asking them to bear a cost for us that in most cases is both not intentional and is truthfully not appropriate. So that is, it was a surprisingly uh, procurement relevant conversation. I wasn't sure where we were going at first, but the more we got into it with Jim, it is really a conversation that people with supply chain or, or accounts payable responsibilities need to see. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and gosh, payment processing. Talk about an industry that's just blown up, right? Yes. At, at, at a necessity. Touch-free, as Jim was talking about, all of the, the touch-free processing that can be done now, allowing smaller companies to function like much larger enterprises, which is definitely part of the ecosystem opportunity. Agreed. And Jim was such a great character. Uh, lots of stories, <laughs> lots of stories, uh, a few that he shared pre-show, a few that he shared on air. Um, but you know, he, he seemed, um, and, and maybe, maybe I'm reading into it, but, but there was a story he shared of his current team of how they went in, they, one of their retailers, yes. I want to say it was cyber Monday or related to a big shopping day. And, uh, they had a point of sale problem. Yeah. And rather cash than register went down, the physical, that's right. The physical cash register went down and rather than his, the, his team taking the, the holiday off, right. Uh, and getting back to her in three days, they went and owned the holiday, made sure she was set up so that she wouldn't miss out. The store wouldn't miss out as a small business, I believe wouldn't miss out with all the dollars. You know, these, these, these big days are some of the biggest days of the year. And that's gosh, right. if you miss it, you can't get it back. Can you Kelly? No, no, you can't. And and maybe it's the one thing we should have asked Mike. There's always one thing. We should have asked him. You know, it's not just about the initiative or the potential for value. It's about each company and executive and team understanding and being able to articulate their why, right? Jim and his team are crystal clear on their why for how they operate and how they support people in their network. And I think we saw evidence of that in the story that he shared about getting that small retailer back up in time for Black Friday shopping. Um, we all have to be clear on that why. Agreed. Uh, all right. I want to, um, one last thing I want to touch on. I know we're right up against it. And thanks for dropping in those links, folks. Um, so Greg White, the Greg White, yes, dropped a, a LinkedIn post today. He's great with these um I call them like kind of listen up perspectives, listen yes. up POVs. He said here today, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's, he's kind of surveying the current retail environment, especially as we head into, you know, what for a lot of folks is holiday season. He says, uh, quote, there will be little variety or quantity on the shelf and few to no discounts as companies spent margin dollars just to get the goods to the shelves. This might be a good year to consider spending time on loved ones rather than spending money, end quote. And there's a lot more good stuff there. What a wonderful sentiment 
to embrace, uh, no pun intended, this year, huh? Wonderful sentiment. Don't know how bottom lines are going to feel, how <laughs> wonderful it is. You know, foot rub and back rub coupons are awesome, but they don't do a whole lot for GDP or the global economy. Hopefully there's some amount of balance in there, but I think maybe we're going to all have to train our kids when you write those letters to Santa, be flexible. Don't be too specific about the model or the color or the size. Just, you know, generally. <laughs> I think that's the missing beatitude. Uh, blessed are the flexible ones, right? Oh, um, yes. <laughs> all right. Andre talks about B2B. A business business payment is still very slow. Prepayment is a hassle when I have to use a company credit card to get the goods faster. Good point there. Um, and, and, you know, the conversations are going to continue so much yes. came up here today in the last hour with Mike Griswold with Gartner. All right. So Kelly, let's make sure folks know how to connect with you at Buyers Meeting Point and Dalpe. Absolutely. So you can find me very easily on LinkedIn, either as Kelly or as Buyers Meeting Point. Uh, Dalpe is the third Tuesday of every month at noon. So check us out there. Save the date on your calendar. Uh, means we're not that long, about two weeks to the next episode. So please do join us. That's right. Net 14. Uh, and Art of Procurement. Art of Procurement. And what a great podcast, great community. Uh, and where can folks find that? Uh, Artofprocurement.com or literally anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. You it's, it's the number one weekly procurement podcast in the world. So it's very easy to find. Drops every single Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. Wonderful. Okay. Well, with that, we're going to have to leave it there. Gosh, we tackled so much. Everything but the kitchen sink here today. <laughs> Kelly Borner, always a pleasure. Big thanks to you and, and uh, your team. Big thanks to Amanda and Jada and Clay behind the scenes. Hey, thanks to everyone that showed up and 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 shared what was on their mind. I know we couldn't get everybody's uh, POV here today, but really appreciate that. Hey, it's, it's great just to be back after our Monday supply chain buzz. Uh, you know, the, half of the internet world went down and it took us down with it for a little while. <laughs> it's just good to be back, isn't it, Kelly? It is great to be back. It was nice to be here with you today, and I was thrilled to be on with Mike. Awesome. Me too. Uh, so, folks, hey, most important thing you hear, hear here today, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. Go out and help somebody today. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.